Thank you, worship team, for the selections of music this morning, which fit beautifully with the theme of the day. Uh, Linda has uh, very kindly read Matthew's uh, passage having to do with the last moments of Jesus' life. I'm going to speak from the John 19 passage, and I'm going to try and show you the links between Matthew and Mark's passage and John 19, verses 28 to 30. Here's the gospel according to St. John, John 19, 28 to 30, which is the sixth saying from the cross, the word of triumph. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Lord Jesus, we're at the very heart of the gospel this morning. We're at what it really meant for you to die on the cross for our sins and the sins of the whole world. We pray that as we look at this passage, you would uh, make it real and personal to us again so that we would feel the enormity of what you did for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us have experienced the sense of relief when we have completed a difficult task. Whether it is the completion of a school project, a craft that we've labored over, or a difficult phone call that had to be made, all of us know that sense of relief to have finished, to have completed something which we have poured into our lives. Uh, for me, there is one moment that will always stand out as the greatest sense of relief I have ever experienced. It happened in the sleepy southern town of Wilmore, Kentucky, in late July 1981. On that afternoon, I wrote my final exam for the completion of my Master Divinity degree at Asbury Theological Seminary. I can still feel the feeling as I walked out of that classroom and into the heat of that Kentucky afternoon, knowing, I'm done! But nothing that we have finished can compare to what the Lord Jesus Christ finished when he uttered this sixth saying from the cross sometime around 3 p.m. on Good Friday 2,000 years ago. In his gospel, St. John tells us that as soon as Jesus was given the wine vinegar to drink, he said, It is finished. It is significant that both Matthew in 2750 and Mark in 1537 also record that as soon as Jesus received the wine vinegar, he uttered a, quote, 
loud cry and breathed his last. Unquestionably, there is a relationship between the loud cry of Matthew and Mark and the it is finished that John records. In the English language, it takes three words to say it is finished. But in both Aramaic and Greek, all that is needed is one word. Finished. So I believe that the loud cry of Matthew and Mark is probably the one word of John's gospel, the one word finished. Jesus, at the moment of his death, realizing that his task was complete, cried out, finished! But that raises a question. What was finished? What had been his task and what, therefore, was complete? Matthew and Mark give to us the most important clue, immediate clue, as to what Jesus' mission had been and what he had now finished. For they both tell us that at the moment that Jesus uttered the loud cry, certain things happened simultaneous with that loud cry. The most important of all those things that are listed in Matthew chapter 27 is that the curtain or the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What does the veil of the temple being torn in two have to do with Jesus' mission? Well, to answer that question, I've got to give you a little tour with words of the temple, and most of you here in the sanctuary and, of course, online will know all about this. The temple had three main components. The first was the court of the Gentiles. This was the area that a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, who was seeking to discover the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, could come and inquire about the true and the living God. Let's call it the evangelistic component of the temple. It was the area that, that the merchants and the money changers were using for their commercial trade, and this is the area, of course, that Jesus will cleanse on Tuesday of Passion Week. So you have the court of the Gentiles. The second major division was the outer court. This was the place where the priests sacrificed the sin, fellowship, and burnt offerings that the people would bring to pay the price for their sins and to receive forgiveness. Any priest could make this sacrifice for you in the outer court. But the third division of the temple was restricted to just the high priest. Only the high priest could go into the last major division of the temple, the inner court, or commonly called the most holy place. And he only went in once a year on the Day of, of, day of Atonement, which we now call Yom Kippur, to offer a sin sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation. But here's the key. Separating the inner court from the outer court was this huge curtain, this veil. At the moment that Jesus Christ cried, Finished! 
that curtain separating the inner court from the outer court was ripped from top to bottom. Before this moment, only the high priest had ever seen that inner court, the place where atonement was made once per year for the sins of the whole nation. But now the curtain is gone, and everyone could see right into that place which had been barred for centuries for everyone but the high priest. No longer was a priest necessary for sacrifice to be made because the final sacrifice had just been made. No longer was the blood of bulls and goats necessary for atonement to be made because the only begotten Son had just given up His life's blood. It had been poured out. No more sacrifice for sin was necessary. Finished! The great shout and the veil coming down was the final evidence that God's great plan of salvation was complete. Jesus Christ, very God of very God, very man of very man, had finished His task, which was to pay the supreme sacrifice, the final sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Salvation history, which had commenced the moment that Adam and Eve were banished from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden, was complete, done, finished. Nothing more needs to be done or can be done. It is finished. But that raises for me an issue. Why do so many of us who know the saving work of God in our hearts have received Jesus as our Savior, why do so many of us live as though God's great plan of salvation is still unfinished? You know what I mean. So many of us in the Christian community today know the reality of the free gift of salvation that God has given us through His Son. But something's happened. It's not, it's not very real anymore. There's a vibrancy that's missing. One of two things may have happened to you and to me. The first I've called the joy of salvation wanes. The forgiveness of sin and the joy of a guilt-free life wanes. And that first taste of forgiveness that we experienced way back there becomes less and less real as we get farther and farther from it. 
before long, we who have tasted his forgiveness begin to experience life as though we are unforgiven. So the joy of the new life in Christ becomes, I've got two words for you, trite and commonplace. Trite and commonplace. And the work of Christ on the cross seems unfinished or worse yet, lost because we have lost what we first had. I've been deeply affected by a Christian writer from the 19th century, Fanny Crosby, uh, the songwriter, Hannah Whittall Smith, the writer. A very important writer, obscure, but very, very important writer. And I have a little devotional book that uh, I read each day. And on March the 20th, out of the blue comes this incredible writing from Hannah Whittall Smith in this devotional book, which just fits perfectly for where I'm at in this point that I'm trying to make uh, this morning. Here's what she writes. I was once talking to an intelligent agnostic. He said, The Christians I meet seem to me the very most uncomfortable people anywhere around. They seem to carry their religion as a man carries a headache. He does not want to get rid of his head, but at the same time, it's very uncomfortable to have it. This was a lesson I have never forgotten. It seemed as one of my Christian friends said to me one day when we were comparing our experiences, as if we just had enough religion to make us miserable. The religion of our Lord Jesus Christ was meant to be full of comfort, because eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. All the difficulty arises from the fact that we have underbelieved and undertrusted. All the difficulty arises from the fact that we have underbelieved and undertrusted. Trite and commonplace. Underbelieved and undertrusted. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'm not arguing today, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we should experience that exuberance all the time. But if the gospel is true, there has to be underlying, foundational to our faith, this sense that God is in control and that He understands and knows all the way my Savior leads me. And I think that is the antidote to trite and commonplace. God is in control. He is leading. He is in charge. He gets the last word in human history and in my history. So if trite and commonplace, if underbelieved and undertrusted is a description of your walk with Jesus today, can I take you one more time to the foot of an old rugged cross? 
and can I have you here with me? Jesus say, finished. It's completed. The work is done. He wants you to live in that reality. Or perhaps a second thing has happened to you in your walk with Christ. Perhaps you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. He has come in and you've experienced the forgiveness of your sins. You know that the gift of salvation is a free gift, not of works, Ephesians chapter 2, lest anyone should boast. There's nothing that you have done to earn it. But you would never know that today. You're working overtime. You're doing everything you can do to curry his favor. I put it this way, and I've seen it as a pastor all of my journey. Saved by grace, but sustained by works. I've got to do this. It has to be done. It's Satan's greatest trap for the committed Christian because it will take the joy out of serving our Lord. Dear brother, dear sister in Christ this morning, the Christian life begins by grace. It is sustained by grace and it will be finished completed by grace. What you do and how you do it will not win any brownie points with God. Now, again, I think the Christian community has made way too much emphasis on this whole idea of, of, of how do I put it, um, kind of God's pecking order. If you, if you fulfill the assignment that God's given to you, then you're this high on the, uh, you get an A+. That there's some kind of a performance review at the end of life. There is a performance review at the end of life. You know what it is? It's just this. Do you know Jesus personally? Is he the one that is the basis of your salvation? Anything else after that is God's provision, not ours. It's, 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 it's his judgment, not getting us ready for the judgment before we get to the judgment. Now, why do I say that? Because the veil was torn in two, not because of anyone's works, but because of Jesus' righteousness. So, how do we get this back? What happens? How do we get it back? I want to be really practical with you this morning. I think that one of the uh, most important early experiences that I had as a pastor here in the city of Peterborough was an event that we did together. Actually, before we formed Church in the City, it was one of the events that, that kind of came uh, out of, uh, that resulted in Church in the City. But some of you may well remember this. Uh, 
I think 85, 86, something of that nature. Ralph and Lou Sutera were here. Uh, the Sutera Twins event. Some of you are remembering that Sutera Twins event. We started with a one-week uh, uh, special services. I think they were every day of the week during that time, and they ended up being here about three weeks. God really moved in a special way during that time. Uh, I remember a lot that took place during that time, but there was one sermon, I don't know whether it was Ralph or Lou that uh, preached it or both together, but they preached a sermon on Mary and Joseph losing Jesus. Now, again, you think about that, uh, that story in, in Luke chapter 2. It's quite, quite an in incredible thing that they would have traveled all that distance towards home, towards Nazareth, and left behind their son in the temple, even though he was 12 years old and obviously capable of caring for himself at 12. Uh, still, it was quite a thing. But here was their point. He was talking, they were talking about this whole idea of, of, of returning back to where we started. And, and the question they posed was this, where did Mary and Joseph find Jesus? And the answer, I never forgot it. They found him where they lost him. And I think that's still a valid concept in dealing with this issue of returning to that, that sense of getting beyond trite and commonplace. Sometimes God calls us to walk back. What happened? What was the event? What was the discouragement? What was the heartache? What was the moment in which it seemed that God vacated your life? He didn't, but again, perception is reality. Where was that defining moment that moved you away from that sense of intimacy with him what happened maybe you just got too busy maybe the work environment was just a destructive spot and it, it became a very difficult way difficult to try to make everything work and again pandemic has caused all kinds of issues that are related to this whole thing but sometimes God calls us to go back to the place where where we lost him and say I gotta fix this I gotta make this right I have to acknowledge that that something happened here that was hurtful that was destructive that caused me to move away from you returning back where we began well this morning, may I take you back to the foot of the old rugged cross. And may I tell you this one more time, you all know it. The work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross has finished God's plan of salvation. If we respond in obedience to him, our lives become an offering back for what he has done for us, but it is not the basis of our salvation. 
our love for him results in obedience but it is not the obedience that makes us righteous in his sight it is his work on the cross I was a student at Roberts Wesleyan College in Rochester New York when the Vietnam War ended it just seems unbelievable that we keep as human beings repeating what we have done in past centuries but here we are again with what's happening in Ukraine right now I remember very vividly the helicopters evacuating people watching CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite as the helicopters evacuated people from the roof of the American Embassy in Saigon as it was about to fall and it was during that period of time that Bill and Gloria Gaither began to it took them a year in terms of the development of this song that is going to be the conclusion of the sermon this morning it was their experience of watching Saigon fall that resulted in this song written in 1976 called It Is Finished <laughs> 